I'm going to read John 1, 1 through 16. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 750. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that was life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory in the glory of one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. This is the word of God. Okay, I know I don't normally do this. You don't want to, you know, single somebody out, but I got to welcome back somebody who has preached for us before, and it looks like we have a Buffalo Bill over here. Let's welcome back JT. How you doing, man? Well... I thought we were going to meet in the middle. You were going to hug me, but that's okay. That's okay. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. Uh, so great to see you. Oh, I know why. You know we're having that lunch right after, right? We are. There's a lunch. I, now I know why he's here. Okay. Uh, what an amazing witness for Christ he is. Uh, if you knew all, you talk about somebody who trusts in God's timing. Uh, with the ministries he does, uh, with, with trust, you know, he gets into med school and yet here's this offer to go play professional football and all that. He's just a great example, really, of what we're talking about this morning. Now, let's review. First of all, let's get the logo up there, Cameron, if you don't mind. This is our theme for this year. It's all his, and it's in, you know, four facets. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about it's all his story. Uh, last week, we focused on it's all his time. Uh, next week we will talk about uh, it is all his, uh, let's see, S-T-A, his assets, and then his resources after that. We knew that this was going to be kind of an interlude weekend, so I've got kind of an interlude sermon. I know last week uh, Tim talked about time, and I'm going to talk about God's timing, kind of springboarding off of, off of that theme. You know, a lot of times uh, we want God's resources, but not his timing. You know, we want it to be on our timeline, not his. We want to get, get what we can get, and as much as we can get, Instead of really being on his timeline, it reminded me of uh, that um, real greedy economist uh, uh, who read, what is it, Second Peter 
3, 8, where it says, you know, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He thought, I could get something out of that. And so he said, I'm going to go talk to the Lord. And he goes to God, and he says, oh, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for you is just like one minute? And God said, well, yeah. He said, well, well does that mean then that like a million dollars to you is just like one penny? And uh, God said, well, yeah. He said, well, Lord, could you give me one of those pennies? And God said, uh, sure, just wait there a minute. <laughs> you see, because a minute can be like a thousand. Okay, let's do that again. Okay, see, there's this economist. Okay, no. I know that was kind of weak, but anyway. Uh, but it is very important. You know, we want his resources, but not his time. We want the, the penny, you know, or, or we want the million dollars, not the penny. You know, we forget that, that we sometimes want the certainty at the expense of having faith. You know, we want the answer immediately instead of wrestling with the questions in faith. You know, and, and, and yet we've got to trust in his will and his way, living out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I know that that's tough to do sometimes, especially when we're waiting on test results or a decision or who am I going to marry? You know, are we going to have children? Uh, uncertainties with a job. Wasn't that a great word that, that Don brought us today? But whatever it might be, it's tough to be on his timing and not our own. And yet it is always in our best interest to trust in his divine timing. Now, I, I, I've preached perhaps more than any, on any other passage on John 11 where uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But I'd never really thought about how it really applies to what we're talking about here in terms of God's divine timing. So I want to talk about that. Now, to give you a little bit of context, uh, Lazarus is sick, and indeed he has died. And Jesus is over the Transjordan. He's across the Jordan River away from him. And so it's been a day since Lazarus has died. In fact, they send a messenger to let uh, Jesus know that Lazarus has died. But does Jesus go immediately to Bethany to see his good friend? No. He actually waits for two days. And then he takes another day to get to Bethany. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he go back immediately? Well, that's what I want to talk about. First of all, and I think we've got uh, some points up here. First of all, Jesus uses his divine timing to motivate our faith, okay? Does that to motivate our faith, our belief? He says that even in this passage. If you look at verse 14, and you can follow along with me. He says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now again, you have this sense of, oh, maybe this is why Jesus waited for days. He goes on to tell Martha that wonderful passage, and uh, it's John uh, 11, verses 25 and 26. And I know it this way, so I'm just going to say it my way. I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believe in me will ne- believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The key theme, obviously, is belief, having faith. And finally, just before he raises Lazarus from the dead, the next verse, verses 41 and 42. So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Now why is he doing all of this? He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may what? Believe that you sent me. Jesus uses divine timing so that we will believe all the more. And that's tough for us. That's tough. Sometimes you and I can't get past the question of, God, if you're so loving and everything, why can't you give me the answer now? Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait on your timing? Why can't I just get relief now? Let me just say this. 
What God does in us while we wait is as, is as important as what we are waiting for. Say that with me. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. So important to keep in mind. Paul knew that. If you look at Romans chapter 5, I think it's verses, what, 3 and 4? Yes. He's just been talking about how he suffers, how he has to wait on God and how difficult that is. And what does he say? We also glory in our sufferings and our waiting because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Waiting does that as well. Uh, And the thing is, sometimes it feels like hardship, I know. But think of it in terms of opportunity. Um, Lovely lady in a church, Herod's Creek Baptist Church, uh, where I was a pastor in Oldham County, Kentucky, right outside of Louisville. The pianist's name was Evelyn Finney, wonderful lady. I remember taking her and her husband, Bill, and their daughter to a hospital in Lexington. We drove from Louisville to Lexington because he had been having some memory issues, and he kept repeating the same phrases over and over, and it was really kind of sudden, and we were all kind of scared for him. We went over there, and he was diagnosed with Pick's disease. Does anybody know? Pick's disease is kind of a form of Alzheimer's, and it was really difficult, you know, to get that diagnosis and to get it just right. You know, it was the first time they went to the doctor, and there was this diagnosis, and I remember driving back, and there wasn't a lot of conversation in the car and I remember us pulling up to their home and Bill and his daughter went on and got out of the car I don't think Bill even understood really what was going on and I remember putting my arm around Evelyn and saying Evelyn I'm so sorry if there's anything I can do you know I'm going to be there for you and I'll never forget it she looked up at me and said Jim don't let me waste this I was like what do you mean she said don't let me waste this opportunity I said, an opportunity? She said, yes, this is going to challenge me. This is going to stretch me. This is going to prune me. This is going to make me become all the more what God wants me to be. So please, don't let me waste this. Help me, help myself, and let's all depend on God for me to be more conformed to his will and way. That's what she said. Strong, strong word of faith. And God did work through through her, and he works through us as well. Someone has said, divine delays do not mean divine indifference. Divine delays do not mean divine indifference. God's at work. There's a hidden providence working in and through you, even as you're doing this waiting. And let me just say, so often we can say, oh, I'm trying to be patient with God. Who are we to even say that when you think about that? And maybe we should flip that and consider God being so patient with you and me. I mean, come on. We can talk about, oh, it's so hard, it's so laborious to try to wait on God and be on his timeline and not our own. And yet think about how patient he is with us. It reminds me of that wonderful story about Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife who died a few years ago. And wonderful lady. I remember when she was diagnosed as being in very frail health around 1995. And she wrote about it. And she wrote about how she went driving one day. She said, I just decided to go driving around. She said, I just decided, okay... And she said, I know this sounds morbid, but I started asking myself, well, when I die, what would I want on my headstone, okay, on my monument, okay? And she was driving along, and it just so happened she got to one of those points on an interstate where there's all this construction. Who loves construction on interstates, by the way? Is that not great? And she said, I passed by every manner of sign and heavy equipment and machinery and more signs, and lumber on the side of the road, and all these other distractions, all these obstacles, and it got so old. But then she said, I got to the end, 
And the last, <laughs> the last sign I saw was, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And it dawned on her, she said, that's what I want on my headstone. Now, this is where Ruth Bell Graham is buried in Montreat, North Carolina. She's got her name up there in Chinese because she's a missionary kid. Can you see what it says at the bottom? End of construction, thank you for your patience. I love that. Got that off the interstate. Isn't that wonderful? But that so fits because, again, God is using us, working in and through us. You and I are under construction, are we not? And especially when our faith gets put to the test, when it is four days like Lazarus' death or even more, and we're put to the test, we're under construction. And really we need to give thanks to God for his being so patient with us and working in and through us. And that the fact that he forgives us when we don't trust that he's working in and through us. So again, being a person of faith and trusting in Jesus' timing motivates our faith, but it does something all the more important, which is him being glorified. Secondly, Jesus uses his divine timing not just to motivate our faith, but to maximize glorifying him, glorifying his Father and himself. Okay, what's our theme for this year? Again, it's what? His story. Can we say it again just a second? It's his story. It's his story, not ours. So important to keep in mind, you know, he's the sovereign one whose story this is all about. We're fortunate just to be a part of it. Again, you and I need to be like John the Baptist, who was mentioned in in the reading that Lynn did, that, that, you know, we have to, well, he needs to always increase and we must what? Decrease. Just as John the Baptist was so committed to, Jesus is going to increase, I must decrease. That really is what it's all about. And when we do that, we're glorifying him. Jesus makes it clear that with the story of the raising of Lazarus and why he uh, uh, committed that miracle of raising Lazarus, he says it right at the outset. And I'd never really thought about it. Put up that next verse, Cameron. 11.4, this is right at the very beginning. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for what? God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. He did this for the glory of God. That's why we wait with patience. We are glorifying God when we do that, and we are decreasing as God is increasing and we're showing our faith in him. Go to the very, towards the very last verse of this whole account of Lazarus's resurrection. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, he's talking to Martha, which by the way, she just said, don't roll away the stone. He's been dead for four days and he, what, help me, he stinks. What kind of faith is that? And then he says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see, what, the glory of God. He bookends it at the beginning and at the end. He says, this is why this is going on. Now, it's interesting. If you look at verse 8 in John chapter 11, the disciples are not thrilled that Jesus even wants to go back to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha because they've lost Lazarus, uh, because they tried to stone him last time they were there. But Jesus sees it as an opportunity, a marvelous opportunity. And, and, And he understands why if I go at this time, it's going to be worth it. Now, let me just say, Jesus knows his divine timing. Why is he doing it right now? Because he's getting ready to go from Bethany to enter Jerusalem for the Passion Week when he's going to ultimately be arrested, tried, ultimately crucified on the cross. And no doubt he realizes that. Go to the next verse there. Okay, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It's important to keep in mind that back then, usually it's not till the fourth day You know, the wakes back then, I guess you could say the funerals back then or the visitations really gain momentum. And by the fourth day, that's when more people are there. And scholars will tell you that that Lazarus and Martha and Mary were probably, in a sense, the first family 
of Bethany. So there's a whole big crowd there. Jesus waits for the crowd to be there. Why? This is the last sign. This is the last miracle that's recorded in John before Jesus goes to Jerusalem to be arrested, tried, put to death. This is the last miracle, the last sign. Let's make it a humdinger. Let's just bring somebody back to life. And out of doing that, what happens? Next verse, toward the close. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, what did they do? Believed in him. He waited until there was going to be the biggest crowd there to work this incredible miracle. Now, there's one other really cool thing. He wanted to make sure people saw that he could do this, this resurrection thing. Earlier, you might recall, he brought Jairus' daughter back to life. Do you remember that story? But the thing is, when he looks down and says, Talitha kume, you know, get up, my child. She had probably only been dead a few minutes, so accusers could say, oh, she just was resuscitated. She didn't resurrect, right? Well, okay, maybe not. Uh, though that's what happened. Uh, And then later on, he raises the son of the widow of Nain, who was probably dead for a few hours. But again, accusers could say, eh, you know, it was just a few hours. This is just one of those rare, inexplicable things, but, you know, it couldn't have been you actually bringing him back to life. Oh, okay. So for his last sign, for his last miracle, he's like, you know what? We're not going to wait a few minutes, a few hours. Let's wait four days. Lazarus was dead, dead, okay? He was dead and gone, and now Jesus says, this is going to be my last sign in the Gospel of John. This is going to be my last miracle. Let's make it a big one. Brings him back to life, really a precursor to himself coming back to life when he rose from the dead. Just an amazing way, again, that he used that timing. Now, what's cool is, you know... uh, A lot of people believed, but if you read past uh, uh, verse 45, you find that there were members of the Sanhedrin, uh, high priests and all got together, and they decided that's when they started to plot to kill Jesus. So let me just say, sometimes when we're trusting in God's timing, it involves suffering and sacrifice, but even so, even when we're not sure what's going to happen, and it could be even more difficulty, we've got to trust. And I don't think she even... knows that I'm going to talk about her. Did you get to see her, Brent? Before? Oh, so she knows. Okay, where is, where's Lorna? Hi, Lorna. I'm going to talk about you in front of your back again. Um, I'll never forget Lorna, and I've talked about this one time before, but I thought it was really cool. Uh, it, it was either after a commissioning service here where we commissioned people to go on a mission trip, <clears throat> or it might have been on a Wednesday night. I think it might have been on a Wednesday night when we prayed for some people who are on the mission field. Now, one thing you and I frequently pray for is what? Safety for the people and security for the people. Now, that's a valid uh, a petition that we should offer up. And yet, it was funny. We kind of hammered on that a good bit in that prayer that we did. And I remember Lorna, wonderful Lorna, so spiritually insightful, walking up to me afterwards and saying, you know, I was just thinking about this. She said, you know, when we do that, I think that's great and fine to pray for safety and security, but ultimately... Shouldn't we pray that no matter what happens, and if things are a little less secure and a little less safe, and maybe something even bad happens, shouldn't our ultimate prayer be that God be glorified? And she wasn't saying that in a pious way. She was like, you know, I'm coming to the theologian, you know, to get a good answer. Of course, I'm like, uh, 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 you know, because it was a great, and it really hit me between the eyes, because to be honest, I think prior to that, more of my prayers for anyone going out on the mission field, it was for safety, security. And now, ever since that conversation, (laughs) 
It's like, you know, I, I really do try to remember, ultimately, no matter what happens, as long as God is being glorified, that's what we should be doing. And we don't say that to sound holy and righteous. We do that because it's his story and not our own. We're so blessed and fortunate just to be a part of it. And, and we can look toward those moments when we're really thinking in that kind of zone. What's great is we can look for those times you know, be more sensitized to those times where we really can reach out. It's almost like we are so locked into God's timing that we look for those opportunities when we can minister and really be a servant to someone else in a significant way. I'm going to show you all a brief video here because this went viral last week, at least the picture did. You might have seen it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media that that you celebrate. Uh, But it was just really cool. It was about Mark Meadows uh, down at the Chick-fil-A on 280. Did anybody see this? It's a neat story, and Mark, a Sanford grad, I believe that's one of the busiest Chick-fil-A's in the nation, isn't it? I think it's one of the, either number one or number two each year. And it was really cool because a homeless guy came in and Mark got him some food, but it was on one of those really cold days, and Mark, you know, saw this guy was wringing his hands because he had bare hands and he was very cold. Mark made it a point to go find some gloves of his own and give them to him. And, and a woman in there took a picture of that because she really wanted her son to see it. Well, she posted it, and it went viral. But I want you to listen to what Mark has to say about how all that came about because I think it's really cool that he was sensitive to God's timing. Thank you very much. My, my pleasure. Meet Mark Meadows, married, father of two. Husband, father, businessman, just normal guy. A Sanford alum from Fultondale, he's been part of the Chick-fil-A family for nearly 30 years. Meadows still serves his customers a beverage. He does paperwork and sometimes even directs traffic. I remember growing up, there were two things that I, I didn't want to do. One was to be in the restaurant business, and two was to have my own business. So it's kind of ironic. Those are the very two things I do now. To Meadows, owning a Chick-fil-A is more than just running a restaurant. I sell chicken. That's what I do. But it's, it's, it's a ministry. On Tuesday, that ministry became evident when a homeless man walked through the doors. I was just about to walk out the door, and um, he walked in, and we have people come in on occasion that, that need some help, and um, I, could, I could tell that he, he needed some help. Meadows gave the man a free meal, but he didn't stop there. He was wringing his hands and noticed that he didn't have gloves. I said, well, you don't have any gloves? He said, no. He said, well, you, you need some gloves. And, I, and on the table next to me, I'd had my gloves that I'd been using. So um, I just I gave him my gloves. And he was, he was very hesitant about taking them. It was like, no, he didn't want to do it. I said, no, you, you need gloves. I can get some more. It's not a big deal. The man left. But before he left, this act was posted on Facebook by Andrea Stoker, who captured an image of Meadows giving the man his gloves. Stoker was with her son at the time. She wrote, There is still so much good in this world, and I'm so grateful that Bryson saw it all unfold. Timing in life is very important. And again, if, you know, if he'd have been five minutes later, I wouldn't have been in here. If, if she had not been, if Andrea had not been where she was, uh, this all wouldn't have taken place. Mark Meadows told me acts like this publicized one happen several times each week at his restaurant. They just don't get the attention. And that's all right by him. Isn't that cool, though? He talks about the timing is so important, and he was sensitized to that. I think he is a servant of God who realizes here's an opportunity for me to reach out because I'm leaning into God's timing and not my own. What I'd love for you to do right now is to bow your heads and close your eyes. And and again, we talked about this at the beginning of the service. It is tough sometimes for you and me to lean into his timing. What is that thing in your life right now that you're so hoping for that you need an answer for? Uh, that you're just yearning to happen in your life, 
something you need, a decision you got to make. What is it going on in your life right now that you're waiting on God and His timing, and it's just kind of tough and challenging? I want you to just lift that up to Him as an act of faith and just pray that you would be all the more trusting of Him, realizing that He is the all-powerful, all-loving God, and that in the long run, as we continue to glorify Him, all will be well. In all things, God will work for good, as, as Don said. And ultimately, we will all be with him face to face at that point where time is no more. And we have the greatest of reasons to give thanks. But for now, what is that thing that you're hoping for, needing, waiting on? Pray that up to God right now and pray for more patience and faith. Let's take it a step further and think of someone you know who needs some good news, who needs a word, who needs an answer, who needs something fulfilled in their life. I want you to lift up that person specifically, that they would have all the more faith that God is walking with them, working through them, and that in the long run, God is going to work it for good. Lord, make us more faithful. Make us more intent on decreasing that you might increase, that we might increase our glorification of you each and every day. Make us a faithful people. May we serve one another and show each other what it means to follow your will, your way, your divine timing. We pray these things in your name. Amen.